0: EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Thursday, the 2nd of March. Back and better than ever. Feeling good because Liverpool won a game of football last night. Amazing what a football team can do for your life. Uh, Liverpool 2, Wolverhampton Wanderers nil At Anfield, Virgil van Dijk and Mo Salah with the goals. A well-deserved win for the home team. Talked about it on the Daily Red. If you want to hear, go listen to that. Uh, The other game in the Premier League last night, Arsenal 4, Everton 0. To be fair to Everton, for 35 minutes, they were actually the better team. They executed their game plan really well. Their physicality, their overloads defensively matching up really well with Arsenal getting four on three advantages on both sides and stopping those Arsenal build-ups. And then it just all fell apart. On 40 minutes, Zinchenko wandered over to the right side, slipped a little ball through the gap. Saka runs on to it. Good first touch. Lashes the ball past Jordan Pickford. Pickford probably shouldn't get beaten at his near post, and that's two games in two that he's been beaten at his near post, but it's a really good finish by Saka. Six minutes later, Arsenal are 2-0 up just before the break. Idriss gay. I mean, what are you doing? You're in possession. You're dawdling on the ball just outside your own box, facing your own goal. Saka nips in, nicks it off you. Martinelli runs onto it and finishes past Pickford. Just so, so poor. And the lack of effort to get back and try and make some sort of intervention or do anything, shocking. Absolutely shocking. Uh, from there, the second half was just kind of dull. Arsenal were in control. They were pulling Everton apart, and it was a bit like watching Everton when they played Liverpool and when they played Villa. As soon as the second goal went in, their heads just dropped. They knew they had no fight left in them. Uh, Odegaard makes it three on 71, well, and it's really good work from Trossard who, as I had hoped, has proven to be a good signing. I just he just fit. He just seemed to make a lot of sense there. And I think they should be very thankful that they ended up with him and not Mudrik. Now just because Mudric is not working out at Chelsea for now, he will I'm sure he will. But he for now he looks he looks out of his depth. If Arsenal had spent that kind of money on him rather than buying Trossard I think they'd be worse off. I think Trossard, because of his versatility, because of how team-orientated he is, I think he just fits. I think he's a clever player. Mudrik is still very much of the mindset of every time I, need to, I get the ball, I need to beat two people and make something happen. He doesn't make good decisions. He's a young player. He's come to a new league. It's a huge step up from a Ukrainian league where all the best players had left because of the war. But I think Arsenal looked into getting a player who, long-term, probably won't be as good as Mudrik. Mudrik will probably go on to be a good player, a very good player. I think Trossard probably tops out. He's just a good player. And he is what he is. Like You're not buying him for growth and development. But... I think Trossard for now, for this season and probably next season, is is going to be the better player and is the better fit anyway. Um, Martinelli makes it four on 80 minutes. Uh, Nice work from Eddie and Keddy. It spins off um, Onana, who was marking him, picks the ball up, slips it across goal, and Martinelli taps home from three yards out through Pickford's little legs. Um, Yeah, Arsenal... Comprehensive winners, and Everton looked a team bereft of ideas, bereft of fight, bereft of belief, using the word bereft a lot here. Um, What that now means, when we look at the Premier League table, is Arsenal are now top five points clear of Manchester City, same number of games played, 13 games left. They still have to go to Anfield. They still have to go to the Etihad. I still think City are going to win the league. It's probably not going to be 10 points. Uh, I think this will go close to the end. I, I, the title race for me doesn't start till you've played 28 games. I think 10 games left, that's when the title race really gets going. And that's where we find out what you're made of. But congrats to Arsenal. It's been a very good season so far. It's another good win. And when they needed that was the game in hand they took advantage of it and they're five points clear uh liverpool move up to sixth they are on 39 points they are six points behind spurs but they do have a game in hand so that is going to prove valuable uh, that game in hand is against chelsea um so we'll see what happens with no it's not because they've it is against chelsea it's chelsea away that's what that game in hand is Um, Newcastle of course are fifth they've actually got two games in hand on Spurs so for now top four is still in Newcastle's hand but Newcastle have been really poor for probably six weeks now so we'll see how they react Uh, Wolves are 15th they stay where they were after last night but they're still in the relegation mix and they need to continue to they need to continue continue to perform. They need to start getting more wins. They need to start being more ruthless. They need to start performing better. Everton remain eighteenth, but the two teams below them now have a game in hand. Bournemouth have the same number of points as Everton. Um Southampton are three points back with the worst goal difference. So they won't jump Everton if they win their game in hand and winning their game in hand is probably, probably not going to happen. If Bournemouth were to win their, uh, draw their game in hand, obviously they'd go above them, but still be in the bottom three. Uh, That was an opportunity for Everton last night to at least get a point on the board, at least continue to put up a bit of a fight. And they just didn't. And coming up for Everton are huge games. Nottingham Forest away on Sunday is a massive game for both teams. Then they have Brentford at home. That one's going to be tough. Away to Chelsea, home to Spurs, away to Manchester United. Are we fancying much of anything from them? Then they're home to Fulham. Then it's Crystal Palace away, Newcastle home, Leicester away, Brighton away, Man City home, Wolves away, which again could turn to be a huge game. And then it is Bournemouth home on the final day. And it may well come down to that game. But if we look like Everton, their home games are Brentford. That's tough. Spurs. That's tough. Fulham, assuming they're not on the beach by then, that's tough. The Toon City, like they're really tough games. And then Bournemouth, which could have everything riding on it for both teams. And their away games are really tough. For us, because both teams need the points. Chelsea, United, Palace, Leicester, who will need points. Brighton, Wolves, who will need points. It's a really tough run-in for Everton. A really, really tough run in. And right now, it's hard to know. You can't put any faith in them. I said it about Deich. There's a thought that Sean Deich is the ideal manager to get you out of a relegation battle, but he's never done it before. He's never come into a position like that. And he he was relegated with Burnley twice. Now he was He left before the second one took hold, but they were going down with Dyson in charge. So I don't know. I like Sean Dyke. I think he's a really good manager. But I think the expectation that he's, you know, a relegation specialist, I just don't think it's true. I think when he has his players and he has his preseason and the players are tuned the way he wants them tuned, Then I think he keeps you up. But he took over from a PE teacher. These players have not been coached properly at all or managed properly at all for a year. I think it's a big ask for Dyche. He is lucky in that there's a lot of bad teams this year. Saints, Bournemouth, Leeds, West Ham, Wolves, Leicester, Forest, Palace. They're all pretty bad teams this year. There's a lot of talent, but the teams are playing poorly. And any of them could go down. And that's that's Everton's saving grace, is that there are nine teams who could potentially go down this season. So if Everton stay up, it won't be because they've done anything right. It'll be because of the ineptitude of somebody else. I think the bottom of the table this year the run-in is going to be one of the most fascinating things we've ever seen in Premier League history. It's kind of interesting all over. You've got a, a, what's shaping up to be a title race. You've got a race for fourth with three teams in the mix. You've got the Chelsea fiasco, which is just amusing. And then you've got nine teams that could potentially go down. It's not a good Premier League season in terms of the quality, but in terms of what could be a really dramatic season, yeah, it's 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 right up there with with the best of them. Uh, we had FA Cup action last night, four games, two shocks, Southampton one, Grimsby Town two, Saints dumped out at home by League two opposition. Um, now I will say this is some of the worst officiating I've ever seen so Grimsby get a penalty just on the stroke of half time, there's a cross from the right it seems to hit Leanko's arm I don't know that his arm is in an unnatural position it feels like when you're defending a cross that's kind of how you'd be but it, it does clip his arm Grimsby get a chance in the immediate aftermath. The ball clips his arm, doesn't divert. Lands at a Grimsby player's feet. He takes a bad touch and then misses the chance. Uh, But a penalty is given and Kilkenny's own Gavin Houlihan steps up and finishes well, sending the goalkeeper the wrong way. Into the second half, five minutes into the second half, there's a long ball played by Grimsby. One of the players challenges for it. He grabs hold of Coletta Carr. And Coletta Carr sort of, I don't know, swipes at him. But it's like a little swipe to the lower back. It does nothing in it. He falls on the floor like he's been shot. Now, you can't put your hands on an opponent, and that's fine. I understand why the penalty was given, but I'm mortified for the lad who's rolling around on the ground holding his back as if it wasn't just the tips of his fingers that touched him. Uh, Once again, Houlihan steps up and scores. And just a a word on on Gavin Houlihan. And this is, look, this guy is never going to be a world-class player. He is 31 years of age and Grimsby is the pinnacle of his career. But I just think, He's a really good tale of not giving up. So he came through the academy. Well, so, no, let me start again. He was in the academy at Hilkenny City. And whole city plucked him from there, brought him over to England. And he never made the grade. Didn't make the grade. And they released him at the age of 21. So he came home. And he moved to Drogheda United. And he played a season there. And he did really well. And that earned him a move to Cork City. And he was there for two years. And from there he went to Galway United. And from there he went to Waterford. So that's four teams in five years. Really impressive at three of the four. His time at um, at Cork, he wasn't... As good as he was at those other clubs, but he had a couple of niggling injuries that slowed him. But he did help Cork have success winning the FAI Cup. Um he, he accepted a short term contract from Hartlepool, a non league club. Not not a guarantee, not anything where you know this is gonna make or break your life. This is an opportunity. And for him, it was his last opportunity. He came over, got into the first team, and played really well. And then he played really well again the next season. And then the next season. And in two and a bit years there, he really impressed. And he earned himself but he, first of all, he earned them promotion. Scored nine goals in 39 games in their promotion season. They get up into League Two. Again, he performs well. He makes a move in January to drop down a division, to go to Grimsby because of a better offer. His contract was running out with Hartlepool. He got a good offer. He took it. He moved. He's helped them get promoted. So back-to-back promotions. And he's having a tremendous season. Last night was goals six and seven. This guy's a midfielder. He's not a forward player. And he's having a career now in England in the Football League. Because he was willing to come back home after it didn't work the first time. Come back home, work on his game. Continue to develop, continue to graft, continue to grind. And then he took a chance on Hartley Pool. He didn't turn his nose up at it. He took a chance. He gambled. He went for it. He gave it everything. And, you know, at 28, it would have been real easy to say, no, not for me. Or 27, he would have been at the time, but it would have been real easy to just be comfortable playing League of Ireland, earning it, you know, a, a wage. It's not, <clears throat> you're not going to retire on it, but. It's a wage. But he took a chance, went to Hartlepool, did really, really well, and now he's doing really well for Grimsby, and I'm absolutely delighted for him. Absolutely delighted for him. Because it's the road less travelled, and I think more and more young Irish lads that don't make the grade with English clubs and then just give up, come home, have a career here, and if you work hard enough, the English clubs... In the lower leagues, are watching the Irish leagues, and they're plucking talent. It's not just them; it's we're seeing loads of Irish kids head for Italy. Udinese have a permanent scout in Ireland. You know, there's there's opportunities to be had in the League of Ireland, and I, I think more and more young kids, and not even just Irish kids, English kids as well. If you don't make the grade. At a Premier League club, at a Championship club, at a League One club. Don't give up the dream. Look around and see what your options are. Could be League of Ireland, could be the Scottish Championship. Don't just look at the closed borders. Look abroad and see what options are there for you. Get yourself a good agent who cares about you. Put your name out. Go to every possible trial that anyone will give you. If there's lads kicking ball in a park and you think someone might notice you, go and kick the ball with them. Gavin Hooligan's a prime example that you just shouldn't give up. Continue to chase the dream. Kaleta Carr pulled one back for Southampton on 65 from a Ward-Prowse corner. Southampton thought they'd equalise, but 10 minutes later... Ward Price's free kick found Walcott, who finished, but he had been offside, gone a little bit too early with his run. And that was it. Saints are out. Grimsby are through. That's mortifying for Southampton. And they only have themselves to blame. They really only have themselves to blame. Just really, really poor. Really, really poor. Uh, moving on then. Burnley won. Fleetwood Town nil. Um, A really one sided game. Burnley had 31 shots Fleetwood had one. He and Hayes was sent off for Fleetwood on the stroke of half time. I think it's a bad red card. His foot is high he doesn't really make contact and if he does it's very soft. He pulls out the challenge. I think it's a really really poor decision by the referee to send him off. Um Conor Roberts scores the only goal of the game in the 90th minute. Bleakwood had held out and held out and uh Jay Lynch had made a couple of really good saves and he made he made one really good save in the build up to this i think it's Charlie Taylor has the shot from the edge of the box he makes a good save and he pushes it wide as he wanted him to do but it's recycled back in i i don't know who gets the initial um the initial shot away but it's a dribbler and Roberts is standing <clears throat> three yards out right in front of the goalkeeper and just flicks it between his legs uh, and past Lynch into the net and Burnley are through. And congrats to them. They're having a tremendous season. Um, company really has done Im- immense work there. Uh, Manchester United 3, West Ham nil. Said Rama put West Ham 1-up on 54 minutes after a fairly dull, turgid first half. Uh, Casemiro thought he'd equalised but he was offside Nayef Agard scored an own goal on 77, it's a ball into the ball, it's a a corner by Bruno Fernandes horse jumps, Agard jumps Eclipse Agard, it goes into the net it's unfortunate but United absolutely deserving of their equaliser, they were comfortably the better team Um, looked like we were heading for extra time but in the 90th minute, Alejandro Garnacho, with the hair that he seems to have borrowed from Anthony Gordon, collects the ball, left side of the box, cuts in, great finish, great finish. And then in the 95th minute, West Ham have given up at this point and Fred runs on to a loose ball on the edge of the box. Nobody near him. No West Ham midfielders bothering to track him and just finish as well. And um, fair play. Um, so 3-1 to Manchester United and on they go. And then the other shock of the night, Sheffield United won. Tottenham Hotspur nil. uh Illaman and Jai with the only goal of the game off the bench. Great first touch. Beats two men in close quarters in the box. Finishes past. Fraser Forster. Uh, Harry Kane didn't start the game. Came on and just looked disgusted at the mess that's around him. And I, I just there's there's no words for Spurs. There's like Christ alive. Forster, Sanchez, Dyer, Davies. That's the defence you're putting out. I I would genuinely rather have Ahmed Hosic I would take over Eric Dyer regardless. He's a really good centre back but I'm not sure I wouldn't take the uh, the Sheffield United defence and goalkeeper over the Spurs defence and goalkeeper. Really, really poor. Really, really poor. And then Richarlison up front, another game, another blank, just proving to be one of the flops of the season. The draw for the quarterfinals has been made, and they are setting us up for an all-Manchester final. It is Manchester City versus Burnley. The Vincent Company derby. Should be good. Second in the Premier League versus first in the Championship. We'd expect City to win, given they're at home and given they're the, the better team. Uh, Sheffield United versus Blackburn Rovers. That one should be quite good. We're getting a championship team in the semi-finals of the FA Cup. I think it's... I think it's good. We've got three championship teams and a League Two team in the last eight. I think that's great for the Cup. I really do. I think it's great for the Cup. Part of me would prefer if Burnley had drawn Grimsby. And we could have gotten two non-Premier League teams in the semi final. And even if if they both got tonked, they could both get that day out to Wembley. At least one of Sheffield United and Blackburn will get a trip to Wembley this year. Um, look you never know maybe Burnley can pull off an upset Uh, Manchester excuse me Manchester United drew Fulham and uh, another home game because of course you couldn't ask them to travel Uh, United against Fulham and then Brighton versus Grimsby Uh, Brighton are the one that could put the fly in the ointment here Brighton really are the one that could put the fly in the ointment if if Brighton get the winner of United-Fulham, I think they'd have a chance. Now, look, Brighton have to get by Grimsby. But if they could get the winner of United-Fulham, I think they could have a chance of getting to the final. Wouldn't fancy them against City. Though they have always played well against City. But I'd still, I'd rather see them play the winner of United-Fulham. Yeah. I think this has turned out really well. I love that we're going to have a championship team, at least one, in the semifinals. I love that we've got half the teams aren't Premier League teams. And I like that two of the Premier League teams aren't part of the big six, or seven if you want to include Newcastle now. I like that it's Fulham and it's Brighton. You know, two teams that have built the right way, Fulham first season back in the Prem after, you know, been up and down the last couple of years, and who knows, Mitrovic might cause United a whole bunch of problems. Um We'll take a break, and when we come back, we have listeners questions, and we have some news, we have the gossip. Yeah, see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So... Uh, first question of the day comes from Gum Gum Pistol uh, Lloyd good Anfield Index loyalist uh, can you name a chunky muscular built 11 Adama Shakiri etc yes I can certainly try um, and hopefully try not to insult anybody but yeah I'll give this a go uh let me pull up get a notepad out so i can write some stuff down had to move on from the normal cards i used to write on cuz it cost me a fortune cuz i was scribbling on them um right guy is reading my mind tim vice will be our goalkeeper if you don't know who tim vice is i do wholeheartedly recommend you google him and uh it's, it's just a fantastic thing. Tim Weiss was a, a very good goalkeeper uh, back in the day. Played for Germany six times. Part of a, a great Werder Bremen team. Um, part of the German World Cup squad in 2010. Who uh, became a professional wrestler when he retired. Spent three years with the WWE. Uh, got himself, I believe the kids call it, swole. Uh, an absolute beast of a fella. So, yeah, Tim Vice definitely, definitely in the team. Um, I think we're going to go with Chris Samba as one centre-back. He is enormous, built like a tank. So, he's got to be up there. Uh, Upa Meccano. I don't know if you'd call him chunky. Certainly wouldn't do it to his face, but he's there. Luke Shaw definitely counts as chunky. Uh, he'll be our our right, uh, sorry, our left back. Um, let me think now. George Elakobi. We're going to go with him. Currently, the caretaker manager of Maidstone United, for those who are interested, played for Dulwich, Hamlet, Colchester, Chester, Wolves, Nottingham Forest, Bristol City, Oldham, Colchester, Braintree, Leighton Orient, Aldershot, and Maidstone. Give him a Google. You'll see why he's in. Now, he was uh, a centre-back, but we're playing him at right-back because now we could go. No, we're going to go with him. He is he is built. Uh, in front of him on the right wing, of course, it'll be Adama, and we've got to have the power unit Shaqiri on the left wing. Up front is easy; it's Akinfenwa and Romelu Lukaku. Uh, it has to be the two of them. Central midfield now is a. Uh, a bit of an issue. We're going to go Jan Molby. We're going to go old school. We're putting Jan Molby in there. So we need another midfielder. Um, Could I get away with Danny Shitu? I might have to play a back three. It would make no sense but I might have to play a back three because Danny Shitu is a giant of a human. Yeah. We're go- we're just going to stick him in midfield and let him kick people. Victor Wanyama would be the other one built like an absolute tank. Do you know what? We'll leave Upa Meccano out and we'll put Shitu in instead of him. And we'll go with Wanyama in midfield next to Moby. Tim White, Tim Vice, Alakobi, Samba, Shitu, Shaw, Adama, Moby, Wanyama, Shaq, Akinfenwa, and Lukaku. That's gonna be our team. Mika Richards is a good shout, actually. He was a unit. He was a unit. So was um so was Andre Wisdom, another absolute tank of a kid. But no, this is the this is the team we're going to go with. Um, right, let's check the Discord and see what we've got. God, will it ever load up? Very very slow. Uh, okay, Isaac Gilding, what do you make of this? There's an introduction to an article. In 1997, Roberto Carlos was racially abused while playing his first Clásico for Real Madrid. Barcelona fans made monkey chants every time he touched the ball, held up racist banners, and even scratched the word monkey on his car as a special treat from Defined Later. What a lovely bunch. No charges or punishments were issued. And if, after complaining publicly, Carlos was hoping for a little professional solidarity at this most harrowing of moments, he was out of luck. This man talks a lot. He talks too much. He doesn't know our fans. He hasn't been here for long enough to justify these things. Barcelona central midfielder retorted that day a Spain international by the name of Pep Guardiola. Um, oh, God, you've probably set me up here. Um. All I'll say is it wouldn't be the first time Pep has had some questionable questionable things that he's said or done or been said about him there is there is a, a train of thought that Pep is um, uh, I, I, I'm trying to word this really carefully look Yaya Toure said he thought Pep Guardiola was racist and had a problem with black players so I'll, I'll, I'm going to leave it there and say nothing else about it. Yaya Toure said he thought Pep was racist. Yaya actually could have made our built 11. I mean, that he was a unit too. AMK 2889, no disrespect to Gigi Riva, but are you surprised that with all the great strikers Italy has produced since 1974 when Riva retired from the national team, none have surpassed his tally of 35 goals? It's also surprising that as great as Toddy was, he has less than 60 caps and only nine goals for the Azzurri. Toddy's international career has always been something that bemused me and confused me. Now, I understand he played at the same time as Del Piero. And perhaps some people felt that you couldn't have them both in the same team. And there's, there's maybe some, some truth to that. But yeah, 58 caps, nine goals for a guy who made his debut in 98 which was pretty late considering he'd been in the Roma team for a number of years of that. I suppose because he retired early, he retired in 2006 after winning the World Cup. I suppose that is why he got cut short at nine caps, um, or at 58 caps rather. But yeah, he should have played a lot more. He really should have played a lot more. He'd been a regular for... Uh, Roma for three or four seasons before he finally got a call up and it was clear he was a really special player and then obviously he played for a long time after he retired from the national team as well which I suppose a lot of people especially considering he had maybe his best run of form for like five years after retiring a lot of people were calling and clamouring for him to get called back up Considering he was in the best goal-scoring form of his career and had moved into that false nine kind of role, um, Toddy's international career has always confused and disappointed me. But look, the guy won a World Cup, and no one's ever taken that off him. He won a World Cup, so, you know, nothing can be disappointing when you win the ultimate prize. Um, In terms of the national team itself, am I surprised nobody has um broken that record yeah very much so and what's even more surprising to me is that the next two guys on the list Giuseppe Miazza and Silvio Pioli a piola they came before Riva Miazza was in the 30s and uh, Piola was from 32 sorry 35 to 52. Baggio would have broken it, but Baggio only got 56 caps. And again, this goes with the toddy thing. Why did Roberto Baggio get so few caps for the national team? And again, part of it is Del Piero. Because there was a feeling you couldn't have both of them in the team together. But to me, that's just a nonsense. But you have them in the squad. Like, Consider this, Baggio, right? 88-1 cap, 89-6, 99-92-2, he got injured that year, 92-7, sorry, 91-2, that's the year he got injured, 92-7, 93-7, 94-12. He carries them to the World Cup final, misses the penalty, and that's all it becomes about. So at that point, he has... 44 caps. He wins only 12 after that. One in 95, none in 96, two in 97, six in 98. They bring him back for the World Cup, two in 99. And he doesn't win a cap for four years. And they give him one in 2004 as a farewell. The treatment of Baggio by the national team was an absolute scandal. An absolute scandal. In 1995, he was voted fifth in the FIFA Player of the Year Award. That was the third year in a row in which he'd been in the top five. He won it in 93. He should have won it in 94. I believe Romario won it because Brazil won the World Cup, but Baggio was the best player. Yeah, Romario won it, Stoichkov was second. Um, Baggio should have won it. Without question, Baggio was the best player in the world at that point. But he wins, wins, finishes fifth in 95, um, and he can't get in the national team. Get w- one cap for the year. Laughable. Absolutely laughable stuff. Then you get Del Piero. Wonderful player. Huge fan. But 27 goals in 91 games. That's a... That's a disappointing return for Del Piero, considering he took all the free kicks and penalties and, and the whole shebang. Um Kepuanzagi twenty five goals, only fifty seven caps. Christian Vieri, twenty three goals, only forty nine caps. It just it, it seems to be a thing of longevity here, where they're not these players just didn't didn't stick in the team for long enough. But, I mean, Vieri was plundering goals for, you know, for a long time. And just, I suppose the thing with Vieri is he was late to get his first call up. He was, what, 20, 24 played till he was 32. Yeah, he didn't really burst onto the scene until he went to Juve from Atalanta. He did good season at Atalanta. Before that, he'd been... At Venetian, Ravenna, and Pisa, and he was kind of flying under the radar. What a strange career that fella had, though. Born in Italy, moves to Australia as a youngster. Plays in a couple of academies there, moves back to Italy, and then he is literally a journeyman. A year at Torino, a year at Pisa, a year at Ravenna, a year at Venezia, a year at Atalanta, a year at Juve, and a year, a year at Atletico Madrid, and a year at Lazio. So, in the first eight years of his career, he plays for eight different clubs. That's after playing for five different academies in five years. The only club he actually spent more than a year for year at in those thirteen years was Torino. One in the academy, one in the first team. He played seven games to them. And it's literally every single year he's on the move. Goes to Inter six years. Six years at Inter, then spends a year at Milan, a couple of months at Monaco, about a week at Sampdoria, a year at Atalanta, a year at Fiorentina, and a year at Atalanta again. It, what a mad career. That's got to be one of the strangest careers. I remember when he signed for Juve. In the summer of 96, World Soccer Magazine did a feature on Juve that year. And I'm trying to think who who else they signed. Was it? They signed another striker as well. Amaroso? Amaruso? Not the Brazilian Juventus season. I wonder does it list the players they signed? Nicolo Amoruso. They signed the two of them around the same time. Amoruso is another one that had a a real journeyman career, though he stuck at Juventus for the longest of time of his career. But other than that, a year at Samp, a year at Andrea, a year at Padova. Had a really good season, which is why Juve bought him. Was at Juve a long time, didn't didn't do all that much. Um, And then after he left, you know, he had a year on loan at Perugia, a year on loan at Napoli. Went to Perugia again, Como, Medina, Messina. Three years at Regina. Uh, a year at torino part of which was on loan at siena a year at parma a year at, at- Atalanta. Uh, another one that just that bounced and bounced and bounced through his career um, but i remember that feature in world soccer i'm sure i have that magazine somewhere in a in a in a box in my parents attic it has to be there cuz i i didn't i don't throw anything away I'm a terrible hoarder for with stuff like stuff like that, not with normal stuff. I'll I'll lose stuff I actually need and keep stuff that I just think is interesting. Um but I, I loved Christian Vieri. Absolutely loved him. He was brilliant for Atleti, brilliant for Lazio. I remember being sat in my grandmother's kitchen. Listening to some some radio thing and it news came on that into Milan into Milan were after breaking the world transfer record to sign Christian Vieri. Uh, only a year after he'd gone to Lazio. I think they doubled what Lazio had paid for him. And it, it enabled Lazio to basically, you know, build their title winning team. They'd won the Cup Winners Cup with him. Yeah, I loved him. He was an absolute machine. He should have broken that record. He was the one that probably should have broken that record. More so than even Del Piero, who had all the games. But Vieri had just that incredible goal-scoring ability. Yeah, so anyway, I've gone way off course here, uh, rambling about things that you, you guys don't care about. But yeah, I, I do I do find it surprising that it hasn't been surpassed. Um. Is it possible to make eleven of, an, an 11 of goalkeepers? If so, how possible of a team can you make? And what would be the best formation and basic tactical setup? Oh, God. Right, we'll, we'll give this a go. Um... Okay. Right, uh, we will start off. We're going to pick Jan Oblak in goal because he's the the best shot stopper in the world, in my view. So we're going to go with him there. In defense, we're going to pick. <sighs> I should say he's the best shot stopper in the world. He's also not the best with his feet. So that's why we're going to go with him there. Uh, I'm going to go with Andre Onana and Pickford as my fullbacks. Um, they're both pretty good with their feet. They're both fairly quick. And they're both fairly strong. And they're kind of dogged, determined characters. So we'll go with them. I'm going to go Ramsdale as a centre-back. Now, he'll be a little bit of a liability, but he will be one of those that just goes and throws himself at stuff because uh, he's got no common sense. Next to him, we're going to play Thibaut Courtois. Giant of a man. He's going to be great in the air. He's really measured. And I think he'll be able to kind of keep a, a, a rein on Ramsdale. Um. We're going to put Ederson in midfield because he's probably the best passing goalkeeper we've seen. Uh, next to him, we're going to put the German duo of Marc-Andre Ter who will just keep things calm and taking over, and Manuel Naur, who's going to be uh, more box-to-box, a little bit more flamboyant. Um, Alison Becker is going to be our number nine. Because I mean do you need to ask? Have you seen the header? Uh, we need two more. And I think we're gonna go a little bit old school on this. Hmm. Rodrigo Sani needs to be in. Someone's gotta Someone's gotta drop out. We're gonna we're gonna leave Onana out, unfortunately. Rodrigo Senni is going to come in at right-back. He was right-footed, wasn't he? Almost certainly was. Rodrigo Senni. Rodrigo Seni is the highest-scoring goalkeeper in history with 131 goals in 1,249 games at club level. Um... Almost all of it for Sao Paulo. Once scored 21 goals in a season as a goalkeeper. He was a great free kick taker, great penalty taker. Uh, We're going to go with him. Yeah, we're going to go with Senny as our right back. Uh, A Trent-esque deliverer of the ball. And the reason we're going to do that is because I've got to have, I want to have Chillivert in the team because he's a nut job. So he's going to be left wing. His job is going to be get it and cross it and don't try and do anything else. And then George Campos or Jorge Campos is going to be our right winger uh, because I loved him. I've not gone for Rene Higuita um, because I don't know who I'd leave out. I suppose I could play. Now, at center back next to Courtois, and he'd be a lot more measured than Ramsdale, and put Hegita in midfield for his dribbling ability. That's what we'll do. We'll go O Black because I love O Black. No other reason other than I love O Black. Senny, Now, Courtois, Pickford because Pickford is good with his feet, to be fair to him. You could go Hugo Lloris there either. Uh, if you prefer, I-, I would certainly get on board with that. He's got normal length arms and legs as well. Uh Ter Stegen, Ederson and Higuita in midfield. George Campos, Allison, and, and Jose Luis Chilifer, who's one of my favourite goalkeepers. Uh, also because he was just psychotic. Yeah, so there we go. How's that? There's a 4-3-3 of goalkeepers. <laughs> and last question then. Uh Matt JT, who is a realistic signing Liverpool can make this summer that would signal to you that things are changing in a positive direction? And who is a signing that signals is going to be more of the same and Klopp, the club, haven't learned their lesson? So I'll start with the second part of that. Coop miners is the signing that would really worry me that they don't really know what they need. I like Coop Miners as a player. He's a really good pass with the ball. He can do a lot of different things, but he's slow. He is so, so slow, and that's just not what we need in midfield. It's just not what we need in midfield. A realistic signing that would signal that things are changing in a positive direction. It's a... There's, I don't want to continue to repeat the same names, but, you know, like Kone, Florentino Luis, Manolo Gartz, those type of dynamic ball winners, that's what Liverpool need. I suppose suppose Moises Caicedo is the name I'll give, because I think he's the the best midfield signing they could make, and I include Bellingham in that. Moises Caicedo is the best signing Liverpool could make this summer. And I actually don't think it's close. I would throw whatever it takes to get him. For me, I actually wouldn't go the Jude Bellingham route. And I I think he's going to be a tremendous player. But I wouldn't go that route. For me, I would go Caicedo. I would change. Jürgen's going to do what Jürgen wants to do. But for me... Uh, what I would love to see us next season lining up Ali in goal, Trent right back, Josco Gradiol left back. Now, I've seen some wannabe clowns say, oh, it's a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. And I'll explain why in a sec. Ibu and Virgil as your centre backs. I'd like to see the midfield switched with the more attacking one on the left hand side because of the presence of Gvardial. I would go Caicedo right. Ugarte Central, and I'd love Michael Elise on the left. I would love Michael Elise. I think his delivery in that left-hand channel would be phenomenal. And if I've got him and Trent delivering from either sides, Darwin is absolutely feasting. And then you go Mo, Darwin and Diaz up front. Now, why Guardiol is a good signing and not a bad idea at left-back? First things first, let's be clear. He's played more games as a left-back than a centre-back in his career. So he has primarily been a left-back. Secondly, you're only asking to play left-back defensively. When you have the ball, it's going to be a back three, Ebu, Virgil, Guardiola. It allows Trent a lot more freedom to get forward while also giving you more balance. And you now have a base of a back three, and Caicedo and Ugar to sit in front of them. It allows Trent and Elise Elise, to play high and wide or come narrow and get really far forward and really adventurous. And you still have your base of five. The reason you sign Josco Gvardiol and play him at left-back is because you either sign him and play him at left-back or you don't sign him at all. And I would rather sign an immensely talented left uh, player and play him slightly out of position, even though it's a position he's played for more games in his career than any other, while also enabling him in possession to both form part of a back three and to have some freedom to carry the ball as and when he wants to. One of the things Guardiola is best at is carrying the ball. He's a great passer, but he's just as good at carrying it. And when he carries that ball, If I still have two centre-backs behind him, I'm not worried about being left exposed. If I've only got one centre-back, then I'm concerned. So you buy him, you play him at left-back, and then you have Virgil's successor in-house three, four, five years down the line. When Virgil leaves, you move Guardiola into that central role. You already have him at the club. You get one shot with a player like him? One. This would be it. If he moves elsewhere this summer, you never get another chance with him. If he fits into that left-back role and is unbelievable there, and you think there's no need to move him, don't move him. Leave him there and buy a different centre-back in two years. But in the short term, he's your starting left-back and your backup left-side centre-back with Robertson filling in. And yes, it will mean the geometry of the team, the shape of the team changes ever so slightly. That's fine. You have to adapt to these things anyway. Signing Gradiol and playing him at left-back is a really good idea. A really good idea. Trent, Ebu, Virgil, Guardiol. That, to me, is pretty perfect. Alisson and Goal is the best in the world. Caicedo, Ugart, Annalise, or Lise is the midfield I really want. And again, people's well, at least is not an 8. He's played as an 8 before. You're not asking him to play as an 8 in possession. That's where he will play out of possession. Because the only reason formations exist is to show where players will be out of possession. In possession we see a lot more movement now and you can allow him to drift wide, combine with Diaz and the two of them together will cause havoc. You have Diaz as an option to cut in, Alise is an option to go outside. His delivery. Oh. Yeah. That's what I want. They're they're the four signings I'd make. Guardiola, probably 100 million. Caicedo you're probably looking at 75 40 for Ugarte. 50 for Elise. It's a lot of money. It's 265 million. It's a lot of money. But you've got players to sell. You've got players to sell. You can sell Matip. You can sell Sell Matip. Sell Gomez. Sign Tolson on a free job done. Him and Gradiol as the backup center backs. Sell Costas. Gradiol also replaces him. You've still got some young players to fill in. You've still got Seth Vandenberg who counts the home run player as well. Um, Costas, Gomez, and Matthew should bring 55, 60 million. Sell Queeving Callagher, That's another 15, 18 million. Pitaluga steps in, and replaces him. Uh, sell Nat Phillips, there's Another seven, eight million. Um, Leighton Clarkson, another two million, maybe. The owners need to put their hands in the pockets, but it is doable. Anyway, that is that. That is the listeners' questions for today. Uh, my answer is uh, <laughs> um Right. Let's move to the news. Uh, Ivan Tony has said he thinks that the leaks about the inquiry into his betting are disturbing. Tony says it was disturbing to read he was facing a six-month ban for allegedly breaking betting rules. He now wants the FA to carry out an investigation into the leaks, which is a fair, which is a fair thing. However, like a six-month ban, take it and move on. You get a six-month ban now. You're back in September. Take it. Take it. The summer eats up most of it. You're fine. Two hundred and sixty two breaches, bud. You know, it's it's not good. It's not good at all. It's having a great season, but this is this is a shame. But six months would be fine. Uh pick your combined Liverpool United eleven, okay. Uh, goalkeeper is Allison. Right back is Trent. Right side centre-back is canate Left side centre-back is Van Dijk. Uh, left back, we'll give it to Chunks, Luke Shaw. Uh, midfields. Bruno. Casemiro. Assuming this is if everybody's fit, because everybody's listed here. So it's Thiago, uh, Rashford is the left winger, especially in current form. Darwin is the nine, and Salah is the uh, the right winger. Yeah, seven four Liverpool. It's it's not even close. There's no argument over any of the positions either. Like, Ericsson's a really good player. He's not as good as Cass- uh, as, as Thiago. Uh, Casemiro, Fabinho has declined, so Casemiro is an easy pick. Fernandez over Henderson isn't even, isn't even a conversation worth having. It's Fernandez by a million miles. Uh, it's Salah by a mile over Anthony. It's Darwin by a mile over Veghorst. Rashford over Diaz. If Diaz was at full, full flight, it would be a conversation. Uh, Trent, no conversation. It's clearly him. Canate over Varane is, is a conversation worth having. But I, I would still rather have Eboo, especially moving forward. I mean, Virgil and the Gnome is, is not competition. Shaw, sure, you give him the edge based on this season. Um, Robbo's been poor. Costas hasn't played enough. And Ali over De is not close. Right, let's do the gossip. Manchester City have emerged as contenders for Declan Rice. No, they haven't. Rice is thought to be Arsenal's primary transfer target this summer. West Ham must be rubbing their hands together at the idea of all these clubs paying stupid money for a a good but not great midfielder. Real Madrid are monitoring Bruno Gomeric. Given they were hoping for Enzo and Enzo decided to go to Chelsea and they apparently have lost confidence in signing Jude, yeah, Bruno Gomeric would make an awful lot of sense there as the Tony Cruz uh, replacement. Former Spain manager Luis Enrique has been linked with Chelsea as pressure continues to grow on Graham Potter. I'm not a fan of Enrique, but I I could see why you would make the move. Portugal midfielder Bernardo Silva's future at Manchester City is not clear with Barcelona continuing to monitor his situation. I just don't see how they afford him. Like, they're broke. Hasim Auer has turned down a move to Manchester United and agreed to join Eintracht Frankfurt when his contract at Lyon runs out in the summer. That's a good signing for for uh, Eintracht. I hope he does well there. He's, his career has really stagnated. Inter Milan are interested in Newcastle's German goalkeeper, Loris Karius. As a backup, it would be a solid signing. Uh, Stephen Gerrard has attracted interest from Paris Saint-Germain as a potential replacement for... Christoph Galtier. No, he hasn't. It's absolute garbage. No, he hasn't. Gerard is not a good manager. PSG are not hiring Stephen Gerard. Napoli are aiming to tie down Kevice Kvarachelia, who's been linked with Chelsea and Newcastle. Chelsea, who just spent 89 million on Mudrik, want to sign another left winger. Uh Todd Bowley. You're a gobshite. Uh swearing is necessary at times. England Ford Raheem Sterling's agent says the 28 year old is not looking to leave Chelsea in the summer and has expressed no discontent despite a difficult first season. Makes sense. Former Stoke Ford Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting has agreed a new one year contract with Bayern Munich. It's what a career. Like, really, what a career this lad is having. He's had his career in reverse. Average below, way below average for, for Hamburg. Way below average. Uh, did okay at Mines. Not great. Okay. Did okay at Schalke. Not great now. Just okay. Joins Stoke at the age of 28. Right. Stoke. Cash grab. Premier League money. On a free, he's there for the cash. Stoke, they get relegated. Stoke release him from his contract because they don't want to be paying his wages and he's happy to go because he doesn't want to play in the championship. He goes to Paris Saint-Germain. Paris Saint-Germain from Stoke. Again, average. Spends two years there. Average. And Bayern Munich snap him up. He goes to Bayern. He's having the season of his career in his third year there. The season of his career. He's 33. He's been average his entire career. Goes to Bayern. Pretty average the first two years. This season, he's he's like Benzema. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh, what a guy! What a guy! Congrats to him. Deserves every contract he gets. Works incredibly hard, and is uh, by all accounts is incredibly popular with his teammates. Just a properly good guy. Uh, West Ham have joined the list of clubs watching the progress of 19-year-old Bristol City midfielder Alex Scott, who is valued at £25 by the Championship Club and has also been linked to Newcastle, Leeds, Tottenham and Wolves. Alex Scott's really good. He's going to have a really good career and he'll be a clever signing for somebody. That is it for me today, folks. Thank you as always for listening and I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. cast network